All right, if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 14. If you're new with us, we have been uh, studying, doing a topical study that really uh, got started out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We're in 1 Peter. Uh, but for the last couple of months, we have been uh, in a topical study that kind of uh, springboarded off of Peter's statement in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, where he talked about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and using them for the glory of God and the building up of the body and so on. Tonight we want to finish looking at the gift of tongues. The last gift that we um, will be looking at, this is the we've saved best for last, certainly the most controversial. And so again, turn to 1 Corinthians 14 where Paul spends a considerable amount of time talking about this gift. And let me review just quickly. What is the gift of tongues? Well, speaking in tongues as we have said, is the supernatural ability given by the Holy Spirit to communicate to God in a language you've never learned and do not understand. This phenomenon first took place on the day of Pentecost. We looked at Acts 2, verse 10, where the Spirit was poured out, cloven tongues of fire upon the disciples' heads, and they all spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is the purpose of the gift of tongues? Now, I'm just reviewing again, okay? Tongues is both a prayer language and a praise language, both of which are directed at God, not man. First uh, Corinthians 14, verse 2, Paul says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, however, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Uh, again, guys, tongues is never God speaking to man. That's prophecy. Prophecy is God speaking down to man. Tongues is man speaking up to God. Okay? Um, it's never, tongues is never God speaking to us. There is no such thing as a message in tongues to his church. If he's going to speak to his church, primarily, of course, he does it through the word of God. But there are times when he will speak to a congregation or an individual about some personal matter. And uh, that's prophecy. Okay? Now, I know some of you uh, are thinking, what about verses 20 to 25 of 1 Corinthians 14? Good question. We'll get to that in a moment. But when Paul says in verse 2 that when someone speaks in a tongue, no one understands him, he is talking in general terms. That's not to say on rare occasions someone might be present who knows the language that was just spoken. We gave you a few examples of that last time. But most often the language that's spoken when somebody speaks in tongues is going to be unknown to all in the congregation. Sometimes it's a heavenly language. So nobody speaks heaven's language, not yet at least. Okay, But, you know, sometimes it's an ancient dialect that's no longer used. It's extinct in the world. Of course, God knows what it is, and God can give grace to people to speak that if he's given them the gift of tongues. But in verse 4, we read, Paul said, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself or herself. Tongues is the only gift which is used to build us up personally because its primary use is for personal devotion. Remember, we speak to God in tongues. And we've already talked about how that it's for prayer and praise. Okay, That's edifying. When you, when you spend time in the presence of God praising him, or praying, you're built up, okay? Some people say, well, it's, who are against tongues, well, it's wrong for me to build myself up. Why is it wrong? The exercise? Well, sure. Well, Paul said bodily exercise, which builds us up physically, is good for some things. Godliness is good for everything. And that means getting close to God. And, and, and the closer I get to God, the more I'm built up. What's wrong with that? I should want to do that, okay? That's what my devotions are all about getting close to God, being built up in the Spirit. Verse 4 again, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. And again, that's because the proclamation of God's word, and when Paul talks about prophesies, um, yeah, he's probably got the gift of prophecy in view, but understand, prophecy in its most basic form means that God is speaking through us to others. All right? And uh, again, as I'm teaching God's word, in the very most basic sense of the term, I'm acting as a prophet, a spokesman for God. And when somebody uh, is given a prophecy from the Holy Spirit to share, 
you know, that is relating God's word to people. So yeah, um, the proclamation of God's word edifies the whole church as it's proclaimed. Verse 5, Paul said, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. You see, the Corinthian Christians had elevated the gift of tongues to such a degree. They had elevated it above every other gift, uh, like a lot of charismatic Christians today have done. The Corinthians elevated this gift to the point where they felt that it was the gift to have, the gift, that um, you weren't really a spiritual person unless you spoke in tongues. Uh, you, you hadn't arrived, put it that way, uh, unless you spoke in tongues. They, they put so much emphasis on it, it became the criteria for, for you know, whether or not a person was really even filled with the Spirit, as a lot of charismatic Christians have done today with the gift of tongues. We've talked about that. Uh, and, and let me just say this, because they put so much emphasis on tongues to show off, oh, I speak in tongues, so, you know, I'm more spiritual than those that don't speak in tongues. So when they got together as a, as a body, uh, in their church services in, at Corinth, they were big on people speaking out in tongues a lot. It got chaotic. They were talking over each other, but look at me, I'm speaking in tongues. Can't you see how spiritual I am? It led to chaos and confusion, and, and nobody was being built up. I mean, the person speaking in tongues was, you know, being built up in their pride, I think. But it wasn't helping the overall uh, congregation to be built up. This is what Paul is dealing with, basically. As he's been pointing out, uh, even though tongues is a great gift for personal devotions, because it builds me up as I practice it, when it comes to the corporate assembly of God's people, What's important is that every Christian is built up. And tongues doesn't do that unless there's someone there to interpret what has just uh, been said in tongues. When you're talking about the whole congregation being built up primarily, that takes place when prophecy is uh, being given. Or in other words, when uh, someone is speaking words on behalf of God. Of course, primarily the word of God. But see, don't remember, a lot of these churches, I mean, they only had parts of the New Testament done. Uh, a few epistles here and there. Um, so a lot of what was being said prophetically was God speaking through apostles or prophets, giving them doctrine, which later became our New Testament. But uh, th this is what was building them up, the word of God, which was new to them. I mean, they had the Old Testament word, but this was not New Testament revelation being given. And that was what was building them up as Christians, right? That's primarily what builds us up, the teaching of the Word. Now, as I said, uh, if someone in the congregation uh, stood up and, and um, gave an utterance in tongues, okay, that was fine as long as either they could interpret what they just said, God giving them the gift of interpretation, or if somebody else was present who had the gift of interpretation and could, and could tell uh, the whole church what, it, what was just said, uh, that way the whole church, the church as a whole, would receive edification, as Paul said. But verse 5 is kind of interesting. Paul said, I wish you all spoke with tongues. I wish you all spoke with tongues. Now, at the end of chapter 12, Paul asked a series of rhetorical questions. We know they're rhetorical because in the Greek, uh, we know that from the way he constructed these questions, he was looking for a no response, okay? And he asked, you know, are all apostles, are all prophets, do all speak with tongues? And, of course, the answer was no to all those questions. So then why now would he say, gee, I wish you all spoke in tongues. I want all of you to speak in tongues. Well, in chapter 12, Paul is talking about the exercise of tongues in the corporate church service. Of course, then followed by interpretation. And he's basically saying in chapter 14 that even though tongues can be used by God in a corporate setting, okay, to build the church up, but again, only if somebody interprets, okay? Even though that is possible, and God does it once in a while, uh, where somebody will give an utterance in tongues, and somebody else will say, give the interpretation. Again, it's always a prayer or praise to God, okay? That's still not the norm for the corporate church service. You see, the, no the norm in a corporate church service is prophecy for public gatherings and uh, tongues for private devotions. And so in chapter 14, Paul says, look, 
I don't want you to think I'm putting down tongues. I speak in tongues more than you all. And I wish you all spoke in tongues a lot. So I want you to get that out in the open right now. What I'm about to say, Paul is saying, is look, it's not to be interpreted that I'm putting down tongues. It's a phenomenal gift. But understand it's to be used mostly in your private devotions. You're using it in the public assembly. And even though God can use it through interpretation to bless, that's not the norm. The norm when we come together as a corporate body is for the whole church to be edified. And that happens through the teaching of the word. Prophecy and, and uh, the word of knowledge and, and just plain biblical teaching and so on. These are all important that we understand that uh, Paul is saying, look, as great as tongues is, it's not really suited for the public assembly. He'll use it, but it's not really suited for that. More of a private devotional gift. Verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? And, of course, the idea is that tongues was not intended for any of that. And here Paul begins to make his case. And we're overlapping a little bit from other studies we've done, okay? I'm just trying to go through the rest of the chapter and to, you know, pick up things we didn't touch on yet and some of the stuff we've already talked about, but I want to just review. But right here Paul begins to make his case for the superiority of any speaking gift other than tongue that communicates to God's people his word. Again, prophecy, word of knowledge, teaching, these are all gifts we've talked about. These are all gifts that God uses primarily when the church comes together because that's when the word of God is to be taught. That's how the church is built up and strengthened and equipped for all the things God has called each of us to do in the body. Again, the main goal of the corporate church service is that all be edified. Verse 7, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? And Paul has in mind uh, music, okay? And, and, and what he's saying is the whole idea of listening to and enjoying music is that each person in you know, the band or the orchestra um, has to play on key, of course, and must follow the arrangement of the notes of each song if the audience is going to be able to recognize and enjoy the music that's being played. Now, that's pretty obvious, right? I mean, have you ever gotten, you know, have you ever been in like a concert, you know, like with an orchestra maybe? Before they started playing, they were all tuning up. Remember how that sounds? Just a bunch of noise, okay? And then all of a sudden, here you go. It, it, it comes together beautifully now because everyone is following uh, notes uh, on a page that relate to a song, and we, uh, we know this song, we love this song, and because all the... Uh, uh, the musicians are playing where they should and keeping in key and all of that is very beautiful. But when people are not following that pattern and uh, notes are being played that don't have any place uh, in, the, in the song, then it becomes very chaotic and uh, actually painful to listen to. I'm sure in Corinth it was kind of painful to be in their church services because everyone was trying to out-talk each other and everyone was yelling and get, trying to get their point across and screaming a tongue or something else. It was very chaotic. And that's what Paul's picking up on. He, he's saying, you're, you're missing the whole point. I know you're big into the gifts, and they were, okay? And I know there are a lot of you who think that tongues is the ultimate gift. Uh, and it's great, but it's not the ultimate in a corporate setting. The ultimate is a teaching gift, because that's when the Word of God is proclaimed, and the church is all edified. That's the idea. Not to put tongues down, Paul is saying. I'm just trying to give it its proper place. Uh, you know, corporate worship, prophecy is the greatest. Uh, private devotions, tongues is awesome. I speak in tongues more than you all. And I wish all you did speak in tongues. But let's keep, and he, well, he goes on to say that, okay? So let's just continue. But he says in verse 8, for if the trumpet, this is another example, for if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? Now we know that there are certain notes arranged in certain ways that when played on a trumpet tell soldiers on the battlefield when to charge, when to retreat. But see, they understand those notes played on the trumpet. Uh, they know that that arrangement of notes, well, that's charge. 
this arrangement of notes, that means retreat. And that's how they, in the old days, would get out uh, what the commanding officer wanted them to do. You couldn't talk to, you know, 10,000 guys in the field, all individually. There's no text, okay? You can't send out a tweet. Uh, so you let out a trumpet of blast, okay? And, and, and different things like that. But if the person who was in charge of the trumpet to trumpet out these, these various uh, notes that communicated things to the soldiers, you know, they knew what those notes were, uh, what those sounds meant when the trumpeter played them. But what if he went out there with his trumpet and started playing, I don't know, uh, well, what is it, Flight of the Bumblebee? Soldiers are like, what? That, what is that? I don't know what to do. Because those sounds were not associated with any kind of action. They were unfamiliar to troops in battle. Verse 9, So likewise, Paul said, You, unless you utter by the tongue... Now, now he's speaking about the physical organ in your mouth, okay? Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Ever been maybe in another country, and you were lost, and you needed to get directions, and you went up to somebody, but they didn't speak English, and you couldn't speak their language? You know, you're trying to communicate, right? So what do we do, basically? You know, we start talking slow and enunciating our words. You're speaking English. You can talk slow and enunciate, okay? Where is the bus stop? You know. No. So it's very frustrating. Language only communicates if you understand the meaning that has been assigned to the sounds, the words, uh, being spoken. Now, look. As an American, of course, uh, we have grown up with our language, English, and uh, I know that the sound dog, I've been taught when I hear the sound dog, that's a certain animal, okay? Every culture, every language has their own word for dog. I don't know what they are. Somebody could be saying dog in their language. Even though I know what a dog is, I have no idea what they're saying. That's the strange thing about language. Think about this. When God made us, um, well, he, he created language, right? I mean, I don't think people had to get together and said, okay, now, this is, we'll call this a stick. And, you know, no, God gave the human race the ability to speak. And uh, it wasn't until, uh, you know, later on that language was confused and people started speaking different languages. I'm sure that was a gift under the Holy Spirit's direction. Because language, I mean, do you realize how hard it would be for two people to develop their own language? You're talking, you know, syntax and various other things. I mean, it's like not just what things mean, what sounds we're going to associate with them, but it's, it's, language is an amazing thing. But language only communicates to people uh, if you understand uh, the sound and what thing that's attached to the sound. Otherwise, we don't know what's going on. And so Paul uses these examples. He talks about musical instruments, a trumpet used in battle, uh, everyday conversation to prove that unless sounds of meaning attached to them, to the people that hear them, they are meaningless and therefore useless noise. Verse 12, Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Let me just tell you what I believe Paul is saying. He's saying, look, you Corinthians uh, who think that speaking in tongues is the ultimate spiritual gift, understand that in a public meeting, the way you excel spiritually is by speaking in a language everyone understands. And of course, that would involve teaching in a language everyone understands so that everyone is edified or built up spiritually. That's the goal. You'll see him constantly through the entire rest of the chapter. He's, uh, he's trying to tamp down, I should say, uh, their enthusiasm for tongues as the greatest of all gifts, using it in public assemblies when it doesn't do anything to anybody in a way of blessing or edifying except blesses me, unless somebody can interpret. And Paul is saying, look, let's have a balance here. 
there are private gifts that we should use more in private devotions like tongues. And then, of course, in a public assembly, uh, the speaking gifts. And he was talking about prophecy a lot, but earlier he's talked about the word of knowledge. He's talked about the gift of teaching. These are the things that, in a corporate setting, build up all Christians. Verse 13, he said, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. And Paul is saying the, that the only time exercising the gift of tongues in a public service is acceptable is if God gives you the interpretation so that you can tell everyone else what uh, you just said in the way of praising God or praying. Or sometimes God has got somebody else there who has been given the gift of interpretation. Let me just stop and talk about interpretation just for a few seconds. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, obviously, but let me just touch on this because this is a gift too, the gift of interpretation. Uh, Paul mentioned it in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. And then he talks about it here in 1 Corinthians 14, verses 5 and 13. This is a gift, guys, that must be in operation. Whenever somebody in a corporate, public church assembly speaks in tongues, the next thing we do is wait for the interpretation. If there is no interpretation for the utterance in tongues that was just given, then whoever is leading the meeting says, all right, well, now no other uh, utterances or exercising of tongues is uh, allowed from this point on for the rest of the service because no one is here to, to interpret. And that's what Paul is saying, okay? If no one is there to interpret when somebody speaks in tongues, then, then the body can't be edified, so it's not for the corporate service. At that time, then, we just shut down any... And, and people say, well, you're quenching the Spirit. No, because the Bible says if there's no one there to interpret, you don't speak in tongues. Okay? Because everyone has to be edified. It's not about me or you. It's about the body. Okay? But listen, just as tongues is speaking in a language you've never learned and don't understand, the gift of interpretation is translating a language you've never learned and do not understand. This is, this is wild stuff. It's wild stuff, but it's all part of the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. But this gift happens, guys, as the Holy Spirit starts laying on your heart. Kind of, it's kind of like a prophecy. It's not, it's not the same thing, but it's, the principle is the same. Somebody has just spoken in tongues. Of course, you don't know the language, but suddenly God lays in your heart the interpretation. You know what has just been said. You don't know the language, but God has revealed, uh, the Holy Spirit has revealed to your heart like he would a prophecy, same idea. Uh, you know, God wants to speak to you or through you through a prophecy all of a sudden, he lays in your heart what he wants to say to the church, right? Just comes into your heart or your mind. Same is true with the inter interpretation of tongues. Same, same idea. God simply just gives to a person the interpretation of the tongue that has just been spoken. Verse 14, Paul said, If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, we've talked about this. Why would God even give the gift of tongues? Why would he want us to pray or to praise him in a language we don't understand? Because it bypasses our intellect, which is often um, compromised through selfish desires. Sometimes our prayers and even our praise, as we have said, uh, can be motivated by selfish desire. I'm, gonna, I'm going to kind of butter God up okay, with a lot of effusive praise because uh, I want something from him. Okay? Where when you speak in tongues, it bypasses all that selfishness, all that fallen nature stuff. And you are just, you are praying to God. A lot of times we don't know what to pray for as we should, because we don't know the situation. But the Holy Spirit does. So when we pray in tongues, we, we're praying exactly according to the will of God. When we're praising God in tongues, we're bypassing our fallen nature, our intellect. It takes humility. It takes faith. God honors those things. And we just come before him and we praise him or we pray to him. We've talked about all this. But Paul is saying right here, when I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. And not that I'm not in control. It's just that I'm allowing the spirit to speak through me. My spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. I don't know what I'm saying. Verse 15. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Paul says, look, 
Praising God in tongues, praying to God in tongues is an awesome thing. Uh, and I do it in my private devotional life more than most people, Paul said. But when I'm in a corporate assembly, I will pray and I will praise God in a language that, of course, I know and everyone else knows. Probably Greek or Aramaic back then, okay? I'm going to do both. Uh, and that's the balance, okay? Uh, we, do, we do both. If you have the gift of tongues... You know, when you're with the Lord alone, you can speak in tongues, praising him, praying about something. You don't know what to pray for. I'll just pray in tongues a little bit because God knows. Uh, but when I come to church, then I'm going to praise God with my understanding and pray and so on with my understanding. So, verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, in other words, you speak in tongues. Again, blessing God. It's all about praising God, blessing, thanking God. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit... How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed? In other words, he doesn't know what you're saying because he doesn't know the language. How is he who occupies, this is a corporate setting. Now, how is he who occupies the place of the uninformed? How is he to say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. And again, Paul keeps beating this drum in the corporate public worship service it's not about me. It's about everybody. And therefore, I am to exercise gifts that will edify or build up the entire church. Again, not just what edifies me, which tongues will do. That's great when you're alone with God. But in a corporate setting, Paul says no. Uh, you know, when I thank God in tongues in a corporate setting, I'm being blessed. But the person next to me can't say Amen. Because he doesn't know what, or she doesn't know what you've just said. So they're not getting edified. Verse 18. I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, in the Greek, guys, 10,000 is the largest number they have. And often it will mean, be used to uh, designate an infinite number okay so if you know paul says i'd rather speak five words that i understand and the church understands that i can teach rather than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue and the idea he could be what he could be saying is then an infinite amount of words in tongues that nobody can understand and is not blessing anybody now guys the next few verses um are without a doubt the most confusing in this chapter and probably in the entire Bible. And, um, well, I'm sure you've all read these verses and so you understand what I'm talking about right off the bat. But let's read these. And I think it's important that, because people say, well, you know, Phil, you know, you've, you've taught, and, and based on verse 2, that those who speak in tongues... Do not speak to men, but to God. For in the Spirit, they're speaking mysteries. But here, in these verses, verses 20 to 25, it sounds like Paul's contradicting that. So what do you say about that? Well, let's look at it. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. Understand the word of God, okay? In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Now, again, guys, in verse 22, when he says, Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, that seems to contradict verse 2, okay? Uh, where, you know, we said that God never uses tongues to speak to people. It's always people, Christians, who use tongues to speak to God. But here it seems that Paul is saying God, that God does use tongues to speak to unbelievers. And many have interpreted this to mean that God will use tongues to preach the gospel. Well, I don't know of any situation where that's ever happened. Because again, when God wants to speak um, to people, uh, he'll speak through prophecy, okay? He doesn't use tongues. 
Remember, as we've already pointed out in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come and the Spirit was poured out, and of course there appeared over their disciples' heads little tongues of cloven fire, but uh, even as the, before the tongues were, uh, were appeared, um, there was this mighty rushing wind that uh, seemed to rush through the entire city of Jerusalem. Now, nothing was being damaged or destroyed. They just heard the sound. And because there were Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, one of the three major feasts of the Jewish year, they heard this 9 o'clock in the morning. They, they heard this mighty, like a hurricane sound. The interesting thing was that nothing was being blown around. And so they ran to where the sound was coming from, and they found the disciples there. By this time, the tongues of fire had appeared over their heads, and they were all speaking in tongues. And because uh, these people were, from, were in town from all over the known world, spoke many different dialects, it's interesting that God allowed the, the disciples to speak in the dialects uh, of these different people. And so they heard them praising God in their own languages. A miracle. Okay, a miracle. But after the people ran there and heard these disciples praising God in their own languages, then, of course, they thought these guys were drunk. I don't know how you get drunk and speak in a language you've never learned, obviously. Um, but after Peter corrected them, he said, no, no, these men are not drunk like you suppose. They're filled with the Spirit. Gave them uh, a strong scriptural foundation out of Joel the spiritual phenomenon that was taking place never happened before in the history of God's people. Now this was a new thing, but God had said it was coming. In the book of Joel, he said I'm, this was going to happen, and now here it was. Okay, But now God had the attention of all of these pilgrims. I don't know how many there were. There might have been hundreds, maybe thousands, that rushed to find out what was going on. So Peter seizes the opportunity to preach the first spirit filled sermon of the church age sharing the gospel with these unbelievers and he doesn't give them a message in tongues he preaches to them in the language they all knew they all spoke dialects but they all knew aramaic they all knew greek so peter probably preached the gospel in greek or aramaic but a language they all knew so understand that first of all i've never seen anywhere in the scriptures or anywhere outside of the scriptures where God has given people the gospel uh, through a message in tongues, okay? But further, and I know that it sounds like Paul's teaching that, okay? But understand, further notice that Paul said that tongues were what? A sign to unbelievers, not a message from God to unbelievers. Don't, don't miss that. But then in verses 23 to 25, he seems to totally contradict what he has just said in verses 21 and 22. Let me read verse 22 again. Therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, say now, he just said, okay, in verse 22, tongues are for unbelievers prophesying is for believers right then in verse 23 he seems like he totally contradicts what he's just said therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers in other words you know these are either uh, brand new believers or unbelievers will they not say that you are out of your mind but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. In other words, get saved, hopefully. But, but here, here's the thing, okay? In verse 22, he says, look, tongues are for unbelievers. Prophecy is for believers. Then he goes on to say, look, if you're in a public service, and you're all speaking in tongues, and unbelievers come in, they're going to think you're crazy. Don't do that is the implication. But if you're prophesying, oh, unbelievers will be convicted. They're going to be possibly even saved. I don't get it, Paul. What are you talking about? Sounds like you're totally contradicting yourself. And by the way, that is such an apparent contradiction. 
and such a problem for so many that even J.B. Phillips, who gave us a phenomenal paraphrase of the New Testament, when he came to this passage, he put a little footnote in his translation saying, Paul must have been mixed up here. Paul must have been confused. He must have been mistaken in what he wanted to say. Because Phillips was absolutely, he's a scholar who read what Paul wrote, is trying to paraphrase it, and is totally confused. And comes to the conclusion Paul just made a mistake. Now, okay, first of all, Paul was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The Holy Spirit's never confused. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what's going on. Let me just say this to you. If you're reading your Bible and you come across a verse or a passage that seems to contradict something else God has said, know this, you're wrong, not the Scripture. You just don't understand what's being said. God never contradicts himself. I'm a little shocked that Philip said he would go that route. But it just shows how frustrated he was because he couldn't figure out what Paul was trying to say here. And I'm not telling you that I'm going to give you what is the exact meaning of what Paul had in mind. Uh, I'll try to unpack this and help you to you know, I mean, I've wrestled with this myself many times, and I'll give you what I feel God has shared with me. As Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. John said, you don't, you don't have need that any man teach you anything, but the Spirit of God will teach you all things. So sometimes we just have to fall on our face before the Lord and say, Lord, you wrote this thing. It's your word. Will you, will you explain it to me? Because nobody else can understand it. Could you at least give me some insight? And again, you know, if you've read this passage, no doubt you have many times, probably you shook your head wondering, I don't know, I don't have no idea what Paul is saying here. Seems like it totally contradicts itself. You're not alone. Okay, you're not alone. Now look, when Paul said in verse 21, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord, Therefore, tongues are a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. When Paul said that, you have to understand, he was quoting, verse 21, he was quoting from Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. Now, you can read that in your own. Let me just paraphrase what's going on, okay? And you have to get this. Because if you don't, you'll never understand what Paul's talking about, all right? In Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12, here's what God is saying to Israel now who for many years was living in apostasy, idolatry, had turned their backs on God, and so on. And for many years, God sent them prophet after prophet after prophet who spoke to them clearly and plainly in their own language, pleading with them to repent of their idolatry, their immorality, and to turn back to God. For years, God sent them. And what did they do with the prophets? They stoned them. They killed them. They didn't want to hear it. And so in Isaiah 28, here's what God said. Basically, here's what he's saying. I am done speaking to you plainly. I have reached out my arms to you folks that you would repent and come back to me, that I could spare you from coming judgment. But you have rejected my plain, simple, straightforward word. So now the next language you hear the next tongue that you hear will be a language you don't understand what is god saying i'm going to bring the assyrians and they're going to take you into captivity you didn't want my clear word you, you didn't want to hear my word that was pleading with you to repent that i might spare you from judgment you hardened your hearts for so long now if you won't listen to my plain word therefore i'm going to send a nation that you can't understand and when you hear you know you go outside and you hear a bunch of people speaking i'm talking about a, a large number of people speaking a different language probably an invading army this, this is what the idea was god was saying in other words i'm done talking judgment is coming and so in that context as we said the tongue or language of the assyrians would be a sign not listen a sign not a message that unbelieving israel would understand verbally but a sign that God's judgment had come upon this apostate, idolatrous nation. But listen now. Paul's saying, you know, that's how God used tongues in the Old Testament. But we're not in the Old Testament anymore. 
Paul is basically saying. When it comes to a public assembly in the local New Testament church, the purpose is not to judge unbelievers, but to reach them with the gospel in a language they understand is the implication, okay? And Paul is saying basically that those unbelievers who come to church, well, they're demonstrating that they are open to God's word. They want to hear what he has to say. In other words, if somebody comes into church, let's be an unbeliever, why are they here? Well, because they're open to hearing what God has to say, all right? Not like Israel who kept killing God's prophets because they didn't want to hear it, and then finally judgment came. Paul is saying, look, this is a different situation, all right? I mean, God may use tongues in the Old Testament as a sign of judgment, but, um, you know, when, when unbelievers come into our churches, I mean, they're open. They want to hear what God has to say. Therefore, let's speak to them in a language they understand. So listen, they can hear, understand, repent, and be saved. And so when Paul said in verse 22, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Listen, he is saying that the clear presentation of God's word is for those who believe, which also, listen now, this is important, which also would include those who have a desire to believe and have come to church to hear what God has said. Look, when the Assyrians came, God never intended Israel to understand what they were saying. Because again, it wasn't for communication, just a sign that judgment had come. But if a person is open to hearing God's word, God will get them the truth. Nobody ever goes to hell who wants to know the truth. Oh, but how's that going to work? How's God going to do that? God has ways of getting people the truth. I don't care if they're in their most remote area of the world in some jungle. God will send an angel. He's done it. You say, are you sure? Not only am I sure, he's going to do it again. Revelation 14 tells us at one point, God is going to send an angel throughout the heavens. In other words, this angel is going to have the ability to speak and he's going to share the gospel and everyone is going to understand the language. And God is going to speak to all those folks who didn't have a missionary so they can't say, I never heard the gospel. How is God judging me? God says, I'm going to make sure that every person on the face of the planet hears the gospel before my judgment falls on those who reject it. But God will never send anyone to hell who is open to knowing his truth. But here, there's a flip side. If somebody is hard-hearted, God will speak to them. God will keep sharing with them because God's a very gracious God. He desires for all to to repent and to come to the knowledge of the truth, right? But here's the thing. If God keeps speaking plainly to a person and they keep hardening their heart and hardening their heart, at one point, God withdraws the light. Remember? In Jesus' ministry, when he first started out, he preached very clearly and very plainly to the people of Israel. At one point, he starts teaching in parables. And his disciples took him on the side after he was done with that evening service. And they said, why do you speak to the people in parables? He said, because hearing they don't listen, seeing they don't understand. Their hearts are hardened. I'm, I'm quoting out of Matthew 13. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will not hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will not see nor, uh, nor perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, I have spoken clearly and plainly to these people, but they've hardened their hearts. Now I'm going to speak in, not tongues, but in parables. And only those who really have an open heart are going to understand. The rest I'm shutting out. Because if you don't love the truth, if you don't want God's truth, he's going to remove the truth. This is what Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. Remember what we've talked about this before? Paul talks about the coming of the uh, Antichrist is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Why? Because they did not receive the love of the truth, the gospel, that they should be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So Paul is saying that, look, there comes a time when God withdraws the ability to understand his truth, because people don't want it, And when he does that, now people are opened up to all kinds of spiritual deception. 
which will reach its climax when the Antichrist comes. He'll be the ultimate deceiver, not because he forces himself on people, but because people rejected God's truth. And so now they've opened themselves up to these deceptions. Now, guys, listen. I'm sure I've confused a lot of you. I'm sorry. But even if Paul's illustration in verses 21 and 22 is a little cloudy, going back to the Old Testament, well, what exactly are you talking even if his illustration in verses 21 and 2 is a little cloudy, listen to me now, his application in verses 23 to 25 is clear. So you can forget verse 22, if I could put it that way. If you're still having a hard time understanding how it all fits together, set it on the side. Because I can't quite understand Paul's illustration. Fine. Okay, you don't have to understand uh, the illustration to understand the point he then goes on to make, okay? The therefore in verse 23 indicates that Paul is about to draw a conclusion from the illustration he has just given. Here's what we need to understand, and this is pretty clear. Verse 23, Therefore, if the whole congregation comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, in other words, brand new Christians who don't understand these things, or flat out unbelievers who are checking out the church, will they not say that you are out of your mind? You know, brand new Christian walks in, or an unbeliever, and everyone's speaking in tongues. Paul says, look, they're not understanding you. They're thinking you're all nuts. You're going to run for the hills, okay? But, verse 24, if all prophesy, in other words, if all speak God's word, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed because, you know, again, God is speaking through prophecy and part of prophecy is to reveal things, okay? And Paul is saying, you know, when God, the Holy Spirit's moving uh, in, in these word of, word of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, so on. These are revealing things. And often God is revealing the secrets of people's heart, bringing conviction. And often it will lead to their salvation. But he goes on to say here, uh, verse 25, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Look, only the word of God can penetrate the human heart and reveal the sin that is there so that a person will repent and be converted. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart, right? And again, Paul is saying the only way this is going to happen if people's hearts are going to be laid bare uh, is if the church speaks in a language everyone knows, prophecy or just proclaiming the clear teaching of God's word. Uh, this happens a lot in our church. Uh, again, I don't know uh, who's going to be here on any given Sunday or what they need to hear, what God wants to say when I'm preparing a message. I pray. And I keep asking the Lord to lead. And I've told you that often the process is kind of fascinating to me. At times it seems like I'm just along for the ride. God works supernaturally in natural ways. And so a lot of times I'm starting a message and I'm praying and I'm studying and I'm writing down thoughts and I'm getting an outline hammered out. And, and I start to then just get into the message and start to build it many times. The Lord takes it in a totally different direction. I wasn't even expecting to go there. All of a sudden, uh, we're going over here. Different main point. A different illustration. Different applications. There have been times, many times, when I am done with a message. And, and this takes you know hours. I spend you know Fridays, a uh, good part of Fridays, all day Saturday. There's been many times when I finally finish, I look at this message and I go, God, this is totally not me at all. I mean, this is totally you. I, I wasn't even playing out. I didn't even know some of this stuff when I started this. You know? I mean, the way you brought things together and, and the illustrations and just the applications, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I just was along for the ride. And then I, as I give it, then people come up and go, did so-and-so tell you I was going to be here today? Well, no, you know. Well, I, you know, they invited me last night. And last night we were talking in their living room about this very thing you brought out today. Now, come on, you tell me you, they didn't call you and tell you I was going to be here and uh, tailor a message for me. No, I mean, that's never happened. I would never do that. It's just the Holy Spirit, you know. 
That's when the Lord is working. The Lord is working. And we just want to be open to him leading us, right? Verse 26, how is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And again, Paul is kind of rebuking them for letting their public meetings, which should have been used to glorify God and build up the whole church, well, they've allowed it to become a circus where everyone wanted to get into the act, showcasing their own little gifts, uh, how spiritual they were, you know, their pride and carnality, trying to grab attention uh, and recognition for themselves to show everybody else how spiritual they were. This is what Paul's coming down on. Corinth was a very carnal church. The Corinthians had a lot of, it, they, they had all the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. We've talked about that. But that doesn't mean you're a spiritual group. Gifts are given by the Holy Spirit and, and can be used immediately. You could be five minutes old in the Lord and have prophecy or tongues. That has nothing to do with your maturity. That's just a gift of the Holy Spirit. But the Corinthians were associating that with spiritual maturity. And Paul's saying, look, you know, when you come together, it's chaotic. Everyone wants to do their own thing. And, and the body's not being edified as such. Now, look, some have used this verse to justify their belief. And I've heard this. Uh, this is a Plymouth Brethren doctrine or concept there's probably others uh, the Plymouth Brethren believe that there should there should be no pastor or leaders in the church we're all filled with the spirit so we all come together and, and they follow the first Corinthians 14 model uh, anyone who has a tongue has a teaching has a revelation has a scripture they want to share and, and they all practice this now they do it in order and I'm not saying it's chaotic I don't know all their churches are in order but giving them the benefit of the doubt and there's probably other groups besides the brethren but the idea is that they 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 believe that because of what they read here that there shouldn't be any pastors in the church again we all have the holy spirit within us we all come together we can all edify and build up each other so you know if you got a tongue you got a prophecy you got a scripture you got a teaching we'll all just take our turn and just share do you really want to use the corinthian church as the model for what church should be i mean think about that you're using the most carnal church in the new testament as your model for church life kind of thing this was a church that was sick it was a church that had problems paul's trying to correct he fires this church of what 29 chapters in two epistles okay this is a sick church it needs help you don't minister to that degree Unless you're really trying to help folks, you know, that they weren't very spiritual. They needed help, all right? Um, but there are those who say, look, you know, this is the model we should follow. And um, I, I don't believe that. I mean, of course, in the pastoral epistles, Paul makes it clear that there is to be uh, elders, pastors, you know, uh, that teach, that uh, watch over the flock and so on. So why wasn't it here in Corinth? Because, again, they were, you know, for a long time, a very new and carnal church, and there weren't pastors who had been raised up yet. So at this point, they were all kind of trying to do their best to, you know, to minister. But eventually, as time went on, pastors were raised up. People got to a point where they were mature enough to become elders and pastors. Uh, but right now, this is not the this was not the model for the New Testament church. Okay, verse twenty-seven. Paul said, "If anyone speaks in a tongue." Let there be two or at most three, each in turn, again, trying to correct all the chaos, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. And again, guys, very important. If tongues is exercised in a church service, there must be present someone who can interpret. And if there is not, then nobody is to speak in tongues from that point on for the rest of the service. Look, you don't need to pray to interpret tongues, and people are confused about this. I've had this question over the years a few times. Uh, you don't need to pray to interpret tongues when you use it in your private devotions, only in a public church service. And even then, you don't need to have somebody interpret tongues if you're praying quietly or you're, you're speaking in tongues quietly, which means you're praising God or you're praying. You're, you're, you're speaking quietly just to yourself. Uh, you don't need somebody to interpret. It's only when somebody stands up and speaks in tongues of the whole congregation, then 
Somebody needs to be there who knows the interpretation, or otherwise, no more tongue. Because again, the issue is corporate edification. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge. We've talked about that. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. Don't talk over each other. Uh, you know, if you got something to share, wait your turn. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Again, sometimes people, as we've already talked about in this series, will justify weird behavior by saying, you know, the spirit took over. I had no control. Paul's saying, yeah, yeah you, you got control. Don't use carnality. Don't blame the Holy Spirit for your carnality. Okay? Some people are very theatrical, aren't they? Some people like to do things that draw attention to themselves. That's the whole idea behind this goofy, holy laughter that went through the church and all that goofiness, right? People barking like dogs and running around the sanctuary, flapping their wings like eagles and look at me, I'm so spiritual. And You know, all that's designed to cater to people's flesh. It's not edifying the body. It's not glorifying God. God is not the author of confusion. So we need to understand, and Paul is trying to correct the Corinthians who were into all that, I think. I don't know about the barking like dogs and all the other things, but they were into a lot of weird things. And, and their basic idea was, that, well, the Spirit's making me do it. No. Paul said, the Spirit's not making you do it. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, you're, you're in control. Okay? Paul says, that even while you're ministering in the Spirit, a person is never out of control. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as it is in all the churches of the saints. In other words, you know, guys, you Corinthians, you're a wild bunch. I mean, I go and minister to a lot of the other churches, and all the other churches are, you know, they're, they're, they're peaceful. They're, they're not chaotic. I come here, it's like a circus. It's a free-for-all. i got to knock it off. This is not of God. Paul placed definite restrictions on the use of the gifts of prophecy, but primarily of tongues. Or any gift in a public assembly. In other words, you can't just do what you want. You've got to take your turn. And Chaos and edification are incompatible, is what Paul is basically saying. And again, let me just end by saying, there's always some who are ultra-charismatic who will respond to this or rebut this by saying, but isn't that quenching the Spirit? Any control, isn't that what Paul's doing here? He is laying down rules, guidelines, seeking to control a service so it's not chaotic, Yet you always have those people who believe that control is mutually exclusive from letting the Spirit do what he wants. In other words, you can't control the Spirit. You try to, you're quenching the Spirit. Well, Paul didn't feel that way. He laid down these rules. Uh, What it is doing is quenching a spirit that's true. Man's spirit. Pride. A lot of folks, again, you know, and I've talked to pastors who, uh, when they got saved, went to charismatic churches. And a lot of them have said, you know, the same people every Sunday. Every Sunday at 11 o'clock, Mrs. So-and-so was going to, we all knew it, was her little time, like on the clock, you know, perfect 11 o'clock. She'd stand up and thus, you know, says the Lord to his children. She'd give some prophecy or something, right? For a lot of these folks, it's all about showcasing their spirituality. And so, yeah, when you make rules and you say, look, you can't just do what you want, People say, well, you're quenching the spirit. Yes, I am. I'm quenching your spirit. <laughs> because your spirit is out of control. And we need to quench it. Okay? Well, verses 39 and 40. Well, and therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And don't forbid speaking with tongues. I'm not putting tongues down. I mean, if you want to speak in tongues in your church services, just make sure somebody interprets. Okay? Desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order, because our God is not the author of confusion, and so on. Okay? Well, that was our crash course in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And uh, hopefully you've learned something. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll come before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, learning about all these gifts, I, I really would like to be more in tune maybe to experience some of these gifts in my own life and ministry. I know that I'd like to see that for our church. Uh, So pray uh, that God would give us all the gifts of the Spirit, but the grace to use them biblically. But remember, the greatest 
thing in the church is not any one of the gifts. It's the fruit of God's love, agape. Remember chapter 13? Right in between the two greatest chapters in spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, God plops down chapter 13, which talks about the preeminence of love, God's love, over everything else. That's what we should be seeking for. May God give us grace. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word and how it teaches us to walk in your truth. And Lord, we pray that you would work in this church, that you would give to us all the gifts of your Holy Spirit, but also the grace to use them biblically and in order, and the grace to not let them become the focus because your word is the focus. The Lord Jesus Christ, he's the focus, and not any gift that we think makes us look spiritual. So Lord, we just pray that you'll continue to bless our church, and most of all, that you'll fill us with your agape love, but that Lord, you'll continue to bless these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.